1: This is your host, Herb Cohen, with my co host, Apple Applebaum Potomac Company's Kristen Rebeck, who is with Cressa, John Hill, and George Mason University, John Schuhart, Graybeard Coaching, Emery Spadafore, and Henry Fagan. Mr. John Shuhart,
2: can you give us a rundown on who we have on the air today? Sure, Herb. Our first guest is David DeLuigi, Regional President of Wilmington Trust. Our second guest is Karen Zuckerman, Chief Creative Officer of HZDG. Our third guest is Cal El Sayed. CEO of Guidance Residential LLC, and our last guest is Joseph Zimmerman, the COO of Tech.
1: Excellent. Let's get to know our first guest, David DeLuigi, Regional President of Wilmington Trust. David, what is Wilmington Trust?
0: Wilmington Trust is the estate planning and investment advisory arm of M&T Bank. Hmm, how
1: large or how small is this organization?
0: M&T has about 17,000 employees oh, and is wow. the 15th largest bank in the United States. Uh-huh. Where are you from originally? I was born here in Washington and lived here my entire life. How many brothers and sisters? I have one brother and one sister.
1: Where are you in the pecking order? And I'm the oldest. Uh-huh. And what did mom and dad do for a living?
0: My father, they're both retired now, but my father was an architect and my mom was a schoolteacher.
1: Mm-hmm. Are you more like your mom or your dad?
0: I'd say I'm a combination of both. I think I get my passion from my mother and my patience from my father.
1: Mm-hmm. And uh, didn't you mention there's some immigrant stuff going on in your family?
0: My mother immigrated to the United States from Argentina when she was about five or six years old uh, um, and escaped the, uh, dicta- the Peron dictatorship, and uh, my father's family immigrated from Italy
1: hmm um how young were you when you were aware of the effect of uh, where your parents came from on them
0: uh, that was very early on um you know our family's very close knit and my both my parents working uh my grandmother on on my mom's side raised us uh, during the day when when my parents were working before school
1: hmm we'll dig into this in a couple seconds, Mr. Hillen, did you have a question there
3: David, you do wealth management now, and I think of wealth management I think of. That, you know, people that have been around a lot of wealth so they know all the ins and outs, the tricks of the trade. How does a kid growing up poor understand anything about wealth management? Um,
0: well, I would say I learned the value of money from, uh, from my father. Uh, we started working, my brother and I, when we were very young, had a paper route, delivered the Washington Post uh, from the time I was six to the time I was 18. And one of the rules that my father had was for every dollar we, sa- we earned, we had to put 50 cents in the bank.
3: Did you follow the rule? Oh, it, w- it was required. We
0: didn't have a choice. Mm-hmm. Um, he played a little bit of uh, a mm-hmm. game with it, too. Uh, every $1,000 that that we accumulated, we'd, we'd walk to the bank and uh, and buy a certificate of deposit. Wow.
1: So it really reinforced. What, when, how young were you when you started making money? Six. Uh-huh. And you mentioned you were doing it with your brother. Yes. Uh-huh. Why?
0: Um, well, we were both about the same age. My mm-hmm. brother's 18 months younger, mm-hmm. but uh, we, we both needed to do it together because mm-hmm. the paper route was... Fairly large, but mm-hmm. uh, we we would alternate, especially when we were sick.
1: Didn't you mention that you uh, that that grew into another kind of business? What other kind of business did it grow into, and why and how?
0: Sure, we we would parlay, we parlayed the paper route into lawn mowing, uh, leaf raking. How
1: did that happen?
0: Uh, personal relationships with our customers.
1: Did they ask you, or did you ask them? A
0: Combination. They what? would, you know, we would we would do a very good job delivering the papers, mm-hmm. and and uh, they like the service, and they asked us to asked us to do more. What did
1: you learn from delivering newspapers and mowing lawns has anything to do with wealth management?
0: Um, I'm in the service business, uh, whether it's banking or wealth management, and uh, so we deal with people, and uh, people want to want to do business with uh, others that they like and
1: trust. Mm-hmm. Emory.
4: So, David, you'd mentioned that you spent a lot of time around your immigrant grandparents growing up, and you also grew up in a very international city, Washington, D.C. So what do you take to your work from those experiences?
0: Well, I I think, one, Washington, I view as as my town. Um, I've been here my entire life. Relationships here are very important. But I also think that uh, differences that people have uh, bring richness to the community and uh, and really should be embraced and accepted.
1: Mm -hmm. Kristen?
5: Before the show, you had mentioned that you went to DeMatha, um, a very well-known uh, school here, and you said your mother worked there as well. How did that impact your um, experience in school? Sure.
0: Uh, her first year teaching was my freshman year at, at DeMatha Catholic, and. Um, as a result, um, I've been involved in the school since
1: 1984. Um, yeah, but tell us how it felt when you were a freshman at school and all your friends are like, and they know they, they know it's your mother. How did they make you feel? Make you feel weird or strange, or you didn't want to admit it or what?
0: Well, I, I think I think at first uh, it was it was a little odd and, and a little uncomfortable. But as as I worked through the the, the four years, it actually became really a, a, a sense of uh, pride and... and uh, what
1: became uh, a sense of pride?
0: I think the fact that my family was so involved in the school with my brother and I having gone there at the same time and my mom teaching there, and it still, still is a very big part of my life today. So as opposed
1: to hating school or cutting classes or running away or you know acting out, you didn't feel that way.
0: Well, I, there's, there was no way I was gonna be able to cut, cut class because I, I rode to school with my mother
1: in the morning. Um, how did that and, make you feel, going to school with your mom in the morning?
0: Uh, you know, it, it forced us to get up after, you know, we were getting up early anyway for the paper route, uh, but we had to be prepared for school, and uh, and it was, you know, mm-hmm. there's a sense of integrity and uh, and pride. And What and, are you
1: talking uh, a sense of integrity? What do you mean?
0: You always had to do your homework. You always had to be there on time.
1: What's that have to do with being a wealth manager? How'd that plant the seeds for your wealth management career? Well, I, Considering I, I, you're the regional president of Wilmington Trust.
0: I think making sure that you're always doing your best, you strive for excellence um, and, and expect the most not out, not only of, of yourself but others and doing more than what's expected. Mr.
3: Hillen? David, you stayed involved with your high school. You're on the board. You're on the board of your college too. You're on the board of a lot of things actually. Um, I thought finance guys just chased the next deal, the next buck. What, where did this streak of loyalty to the institutions that you grew up with come from when you were a kid? When did you realize you were loyal?
0: Well, I, I, I first believe that um, – you, you have to give back. We all come from somewhere, and we all uh, we all are part of some community. So being a part of that, there's a sense of responsibility of, of doing good. How, and how
3: young were you when you realized that?
0: Oh, I, from a very early age.
3: What uh, was it that you helped you realize that?
0: Well, I think it really first started with, with my parents um, and, and the church that we went to and the things that we were required to do, whether it's you know, visiting people in uh, you know, nursing homes or, or doing things for our elderly neighbors without being
1: paid. Boy, that must be pretty rotten when you're a kid you have to do that stuff.
0: Well, I think a, a, any kid, when you when you're that young, you're doing things that you really weren't you, you were, weren't weren't excited about. But as you got older, you you realized the impact that it had on mm-hmm. you, Mister Schuhart. Yeah,
2: as a kid, when was the first time on your own you uh, cared for somebody else?
0: Um, I would say when we were probably seven or eight years old, uh, my brother and sister and I would do things for our neighbor next door, who our neighbors who were elderly and kind of our adopted grandparents. Um, and my parents would never allow us to take any money from them because it was. You know, we, that was our obligation
1: uh, give, give me that again what, what was this your neighbor's next door so our, our
0: neighbors next door kind of became our adopted grandparents their kids were older and out of the house and always needed help doing something uh, around the around in, in the yard or or around the and home what' your parents make you do we would we would have to help them with whatever they needed
1: and you I, weren't able to charge them any money or stuff nope nope well, how'd you feel about that?
0: Um, you know, when you're a kid you always want to make some money and put it in your pocket but um, you know I think uh, it, it gave us uh, a sense that that giving back and, and being kind and helpful to others is, uh, is and especially when you're not going to receive anything in return is, is very important
2: I keep hearing the words we and us repeatedly how does that show up in what you do today at Wilmington Trust
0: well it, it it's difficult to be successful individually. You need a team of people around you um, that to to really ha- create the impact and and achieve success and results in life.
1: so you're you're really built for your job, aren't you?
0: I hope so. I what think you, so. What do you mean? Um, you know, I started off on the commercial side of the bank. I'm now on the wealth side of the bank. But I think what, what has helped to make me successful is to, to think of myself as a connector of people and relationships, and, and one of the ways that, that I try to do that is by doing something for others, um, and I think that the true definition of generosity is doing something without expecting anything else in return. Henry?
6: Uh, David, you said you're the oldest of uh, three. What do you think translated from being the oldest of three into uh, what, do you, what do you do now?
0: Uh, always watching out for my younger brother and sister uh, hopefully trying to be the responsible one around the house
1: was um, that something that got told to you was that expected of you did you just assume that role what was what was behind that
0: you know I, I think it goes back to uh, the days of our uh, paper route. Um, you know we'd, we'd go deliver papers then we'd make our own breakfast we'd get ourselves ready for school It was something we always did
1: you kids felt responsible as a team no question about it
2: I'm really curious. What do people that deliver papers know about wealth management that people that drive Mercedes don't know?
0: Well, I I think, you know, I'm I'm in the service business, and it's a very commoditized business, as is delivering papers. And one of the only ways you can differentiate yourself is the relationships that you create and the integrity that you have.
1: Wow what, What's the website address of this organization Known as uh, Wilmington Trust
0: You can go to mtbmarythomasboy.com And you'll find Wilmington Let Trust Can me there. have that one more time M T B com.
1: Excellent We've been speaking with David Luigi, Regional President of Wilmington Trust Here on Executive Leaders Radio With my co-hosts Mr. Joe Applebaum Potomac Companies, Kristen Rebeck Cressa John Hill and George Mason University John Shuhart Graybeard Coaching And Maurice and Henry Fagan don't forget to visit our website it's executive to learn more about our executive leaders that's executive leaders radio learn more about our executive leaders we'll be back in a moment right after this break stick around and your name is and I understand that you wrote a book what's the title of the book too yeah,
3: so John Hillen and the book is called what happens now reinvent yourself as a leader before your business outruns you so
1: why why did you have any previous business success and why did you write this book
3: Well, I've run four different companies in two different industries, both public and private, and I've taken private to public and public to private. So my career's just had a lot of stage change and performance change. And the the phenomenon of the book is what happens? You're a victim of your own success. You go to a new stage and everything's changed and you're acting on a different, larger stage. Wait,
1: Wait, 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 wait. What do you mean you're a victim of your own success? Has that happened to you?
3: It's happened to me, and it's happened to the 40 other leaders we profile in the book. Uh, people make plans to be successful, and it works, which is a great cause for celebration. And then everything's different after it works, and a lot of people don't adjust.
1: You're telling me that—I think I I think I understand what you're talking about. I'm not sure that, that as we start getting to different levels of success, we have to shift?
3: Well, we not only have to shift, but you've got to reinvent yourself. One of the things we found in the book is when leaders are successful and they take the organization next level— and then they get confused by the new challenges there. They spend all their time trying to fix the organization and none of their time trying to reinvent themselves and change their own behavior. But behaviors. sometimes
1: I may not be aware that I'm getting confused. I may think I know the answers and then I'm actually keeping myself stuck.
3: Yeah, exactly. And most people just stay in their comfort zone and figure, I'm just going to work harder. But in fact, what we do in the book is give a development plan to people to when reinvent you, themselves. When you,
1: uh, when you took that company public, how large or how small was that company?
3: Uh, about 2,000 people, about and, $250 million in revenue. And
1: you started that business. So you went from stage one to stage two to stage three. You've lived this. You really
3: know this stuff. That's right. And I had to be a totally different leader at every different stage What's of What's the website of this book? It's whathappensnowbook.com. All right, let
1: me have that one more time.
3: WhatHappensNowBook.com. And your name again is? John Hillen. And this has
1: been your business spotlight. And your name and organization is?
7: Megan Fishburne with Agency Q.
1: And what is Agency Q?
7: We're a digital marketing agency.
1: Uh-huh. What's your role in the agency?
7: I am the head of our strategic account, so I work with clients to learn about their businesses and challenges and how our agency can help how, how,
1: what, what do you like about your job?
7: I get to learn something new every day, be it from the people that I work with or the clients that we have. I'm always learning about a new business, a new skill, a new trend.
1: Wait a minute. On one hand, that could be very confusing and daunting because everything's changing all the time. And you're telling me you look forward to every day where you have to get to know new stuff and new people and how you can solve clients' problems?
7: Yes, absolutely. We have a duty to our clients' success. And in order to do that, you have to stay relevant with the industries, with their businesses.
1: Wait a minute. So not only are you dealing with new people every day and the problems that they've got, you've got to be aware of what's going on in their industries as well. Do you ever sleep?
7: <laughs> on occasion.
1: Uh huh. So I mean, you. you it, so in order to help somebody with their marketing, you've got to really understand not just what they want to do, but the competitive landscape as well, I guess.
7: Yes, absolutely. Everything from the people they work with, the technology that they have, the processes that they have, it all has to work together.
1: So you must have really big arms, you know, putting your arms around each one of these accounts. So your your job is, did you say strategy or something like that? What
7: yes, was... head of strategic accounts.
1: So head of strategic accounts, so you're really getting involved with these accounts in terms of helping them figure out making suggestions where they could go in terms of their marketing efforts yes absolutely Uh uh-huh and uh boy it sounds like there's like there's no end in sight it's like you're constantly on what's the website address of your organization
7: agencyq.com let
1: let me have that one more time
7: agencyq.com
1: agencyq.com and your name again is
7: megan fishburn
1: and your role in that agency
7: vice president of strategic accounts
1: all right and this has been your business spotlight we're back. You're listening to Leaders Radio. This is your host, Herb Cohn. We'd like to introduce Karen Zuckerman, president of HZDG. Karen, what is HZDG?
8: HZDG is an integrated creative agency, mm-hmm. and we specialize in branding, marketing, content, and all things digital. Mm-hmm. How large
1: or how small is this organization?
8: We're about 185 people. How, how,
1: how do you get a job with this company?
8: Um, I didn't get a job. I actually started the company when I was twenty three.
1: you You started the business. And where are you from originally?
8: I'm from the Philadelphia area. How
1: many brothers and sisters?
8: I have an older brother and a younger brother. So
1: you're the middle of three. And uh, what were you doing uh, when you were about eleven years old to make money?
8: Well, I used to have uh, carnivals and Olympics for all the kids in the neighborhood, so I would put them together in teams and do competitions. One weekend and then another weekend, I would have a carnival where they'd play games and win prizes.
1: Wait, 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 wait! Whose idea was this?
8: It was all my idea.
1: So you were coming up with creative ideas and organizing kids when you were 11 years old yes. into both carnivals and an Olympics. Yes. What was the Olympics thing about? It
8: was just like I like to, I liked competition. I like to have. Um, races and really to give the kids something fun to do.
1: So so your nature, and it was showing up at 11 years old, is to come up with creative ideas and pull a team together. Yes. Uh-huh. What's that have to do with starting and building this agency called HZDG? Is there a connection there?
8: Yeah, I would say there's a connection. Um, uh, HZ is all about teamwork and creating something for whatever your client needs. So coming together from all areas of the company working together for the final solution
1: mm-hmm. well why, why is it called HZDG
8: uh, it's all the way back it comes from my maiden name and married name so it's Hershorn Zuckerman mm-hmm. design group
3: I got you all right Mr. Hillen. when when you got to high school Karen you're a you're in the, the neighborhood impresario organizing all these things but now you gotta go to the cl- same classes as everybody and do all the same things how did you get your creative energy out in high school in that regimented environment
8: well, um, I actually took a lot of art classes in high school, so that was one of my creative outlets. But I also ran on the track team, and you know had a lot of fun with friends.
3: Yeah, what did you, what did you run on the track team?
8: Um, I was a sprinter, and I was the anchor of the four by one hundred relay.
3: Why were you the anchor?
8: Um, I guess you know being the fastest on the team, I was able to catch up at the end. So I was always no matter what however far behind I was running to to win.
3: Yeah, a track team's mostly individual things. The scores get added up together, but it's an individual thing. How did you satisfy your organize the people around me, Gene, when you were running track?
8: I mean, we we just always worked closely as a team. I was really close with all of the other people on the team and I, actually the relay was one of my favorite races because you depended on others to get the win.
3: It's the only team event in track and field in many anyway. <laughs> mm-hmm. So uh,
4: Karen, we've established that you are you are competitive, you have the competitive drive, and you also described yourself earlier as easygoing. So how do you balance those two things in your work?
8: Well, um, I, I actually have really high expectations of people, but I'm very relatable. So in the office, I, I like to make a lot of relationships with people. Um... But ex- they know that I have high expectations, so they're always driven to, to please, hmm. I guess. Who are your role
4: models for these two sort of uh, opposite aspects of your spectrum?
8: So I would say both of my parents. My father was a CEO. My mother stayed at home, but she always had small entrepreneurial businesses, like making flowers or bracelets or opening a small boutique.
5: Mm, Kristen? You seem to have a high level of energy and motivation. Where does that come from? Is that something that you learned from a parent, or is it something that you have learned on your own?
8: I think it's just like part of who I am. I'm always driven to do more. Um, my nickname in the office is the Energizer Bunny. They say I can't, uh, I don't turn off until I get either unplugged or the battery comes out. Mm-hmm. Um, so I just go and go and go. And I just, I love what I do. So it's never, it never feels like work. and It's just a part of who I am.
2: For whom are you a role model, Karen?
8: Um, I would say for my kids, mostly, and hopefully everyone who works for me. How many kids do you have?
2: I have three. And what have you done with your kids that relate back to your business?
8: Um, Well, my oldest daughter, I actually started another business with her uh, when she was a freshman in college.
2: Whose idea was that?
8: It was an idea together, but she brought it up when we were shopping for her dorm room.
2: And what is it now?
8: It's called dormify.com and it's a website for college students to decorate their dorm rooms.
2: So what about you do you think gave your daughter the, the, I don't know, the chutzpah or the energy to start a business?
8: I think she just saw how I worked and um, my expectations and the creativity and she was just driven to do the same thing.
1: What's the similarity between being a mom and being the uh, president of this company?
8: Um, Well, managing your kids and their uh, activities and their hopes and dreams, I think, are similar to everyone that works within our organization. You know, in in a way, I feel like everyone who works for me is part of my family. You really feel that way? I really really feel that way.
1: Yeah, well, I mean, you you managed to build a team of 185 people in an industry where, you know, there's tremendous turnover. I, I guess, you know, you know what you're talking about. I guess you really do treat them as family. Otherwise, why would they stick around? Henry, what are you thinking?
6: Um, along with running track, you all said you were the manager of the football team. Yes. What made you decide you wanted to do that?
8: Um, I I really love football, and I wanted to actually play football. And since I, at that time, they wouldn't let young women play football, I decided to be the manager of the football team.
1: What was involved with being the manager of the football team?
8: Um, I, we had to write stats, we had to you know, carry equipment. Why are you
1: smiling as you tell us the story? It's just
8: a funny thing in my life that I don't think about that much. Uh-huh.
1: So tell us more a little bit about this about these carnivals and Olympics at the age of 11. That's pretty strange for a young girl to uh, think about making money and to go organize. Well, how many kids came to these things?
8: I would say probably around twenty or so. Twenty
1: kids yeah. was that? Did you would, would you have a neighborhood filled with uh, kids your own age?
8: Yeah. Well, they were they were young kids, so I was um, at probably seventh grade, and they were, you know, six, seven, eight.
1: So you were organizing. The, and did they have to buy their way into the Olympics and into the uh, into the uh, carnivals?
8: You know what? I can't remember. I I want to say I didn't charge them anything. That it was just a passion project for me. And it was an idea of you know you doing re- something creative.
1: You don't remember selling tickets or anything like that.
8: I don't really remember selling tickets. Uh,
1: but you did mention to us that, that you at eight years old, you started making money. What was that about?
8: Yeah, so when I was young, um, down at the Jersey Shore, my brother and I had a booth where we sold stickers. And the way we got the stickers was we sent away to STP and Exxon and Castor Oil to get free stickers, and then we sold them to people So the you understood
1: about buying low and selling high, didn't you? Yes. Uh-huh. What'd you do with the money?
8: Uh, actually, um, I gave a lot of the money to Lucy and Margate. Um, we wow. all, I also used to take a can around to all the neighbors and try to collect money for Lucy to renovate her. Can tell
1: our listening audience what Lucy's all about, please.
8: Um, Lucy is a giant elephant that was once a hotel in Margate, New Jersey, and now it's a historic landmark. And back when I was young, it was falling apart and they they need money and i really cared about lucy so that's what i did with my. so uh,
1: you know i read i read the newspapers and i thought that the reason people were in business was to make and make a ton of money but it doesn't sound like that's necessarily your motivation if you were making money and giving it to lucy
8: (laughs) well no don't get me wrong i was definitely motivated to make money and i Mm -hmm. did throughout the rest of my um Mm -hmm. high school career but um, I just have a, you know heart a giving cause. heart, mm-hmm. I guess.
1: What's the website address for HZDG?
8: Um, website address HZDG.com. Let
1: me have that one more time.
8: Horse zebra we've
1: been speaking with Karen Zuckerman, president of HZDG here on Executive Leaders Radio. One help building your business with help from this show's CEOs. Our CEOs can help you uncover more opportunities, grow your sales, connect you, help you raise money, all the big issues. Because our CEOs have been there and done that. They've succeeded in creating millions of jobs and earning millions of dollars. And some are available to advise you. Now, email mentors at executiveleadersradio.com. That's mentors at executiveleadersradio.com. The same CEOs you've heard on the show for 10 years may be willing to help you build your business uncover new opportunities grow your sales connect you help you raise money all the big issues because our CEOs have been there and done that succeeding in creating millions of jobs and earning millions of dollars and some are available to advise you now Email mentors at com. That's mentors at executiveleadersradio.com. And your name is? Ray Briscuso. And Ray, what organization
9: are you with? Life Sciences Conference Group. And what is
1: Life Sciences Conference Group? What do you folks
9: do? We produce annual conferences and events for medical technology, life science, pharmaceutical companies.
1: Uh-huh. So if I go to an event, you're the folks that are working behind the scenes to make it happen? That's correct.
9: We're the ones that make sure the food's on the table, the seats are there, soundstage and lights area registration
1: process works. And and what kind of events are these? Are these just in the life science industry? Strictly in the life science industry. Why why do you focus on the life science industry? Uh, We
8: found
9: that the best way to produce a high quality event is to really know your customers. So we don't believe in numbers, it's names. We get to know each company, we find out what their actual mission and goals are, and we find the best way to deliver
1: the value to them. And are you doing this nationally or regionally?
9: We do it nationally. We continue to look for international opportunities, but it's primarily here in North America.
1: And how old is this company?
9: Uh, The company has just finished its 10th year. And how long have you been with the company? I founded
1: the company 10 years ago. What gave you the idea to start this company?
9: I used to work for a big corporation, and I produced the annual event for us. And when I decided to leave, they said thank you for giving us $150 million worth of a business, and we'll see you later. Mm-hmm. Next time I decided I would keep some ownership and do it myself.
1: Ah, so you've been, building, you've been building this ever since. Do, what do you like
9: about your job? I like how different it is because we mix policy, we mix business. I might be putting one CEO together with a politician. I might be putting another CEO together with an investor. Mm-hmm. And I might be putting the next person together with their next employee. How
1: interesting. Well, what's the website address for this organization?
9: Medtechconference.org. Let me have that one more time. Medtechconference.org.
1: .org. And the name of the organization again is? Life Sciences Conference Group. Life Sciences Conference Group. And your name is? Ray Briscuso. Ray Briscuso. We've been talking to Ray the CEO and managing partner of Life Sciences Conference Group here on Executive Leaders Radio. This has been your business spotlight. And your name is?
10: Rick Angersano.
1: And Rick, what organization are you with?
10: I'm with Adept Computer Architects. And what do you
1: guys do? What what do you guys do at Adept Computer Architects?
10: We're a managed IT services firm for the SMB market. And
1: what do you do different than everybody else?
10: Basically, we provide peace of mind for our clients. Our clients aren't real concerned about technology. They're concerned about what they do on a day-to-day basis, and they want to make sure that the equipment that they're using, networks and so forth that they're working on are going to work and they're functional
1: so you're actually sending folks out onto the street so if i have a problem somebody will come and fix it for me i don't have to worry about it
10: yes we're always there on site we do a lot of things behind the scenes that people aren't aware of but we're also there in place that's why we've kept our clients for the last 13 plus years because they know us
1: wow so you're doing cl- stuff in the cloud but you're also doing feet on the street Absolutely. so that i don't have to worry either way
10: you have to understand your client's business. If you don't, then you can't properly, you know, support them.
1: Wait a minute! Wait, wait! Wait! You mean you have to get to know my business in order to figure out what kind of technology I need and stuff like that?
10: Absolutely. We're in various business verticals, and a lot of the clients that we have in specific business verticals, they do the same thing in that vertical, but the way they do it is completely different. So you can't do a cookie cutter approach, which a lot of companies like to do. We don't
1: so you really get to know your customers absolutely and I guess one of the reasons your customers stick around is because you're doing for them exactly what they need as opposed to something that's cookie cutter
10: absolutely Uh how long you been doing this Uh, I've been in the industry for 23 years what do you like about your job I love the technology piece Mm -hmm. uh, but I also like the people it's funny some of my engineers are more uh, technology savvy not people savvy but I love the people side so I love you know introducing new technology and then seeing the wow expression on people's faces when they realize what they can do Excellent. today in the 21st What's century. What's your
1: website address?
10: Adeptca.com.
1: Let me have that one more time.
10: Adeptca.com. And
1: your name again is?
10: It's Rick Ingrassano. And
1: name of the organization?
10: Is Adept Computer Architect.
1: This has been your business spotlight. We're back. You're listening to Executive News Radio. This is your host, Herb Cohn. We'd like to introduce you to Cal Elsayad, who's the CEO of Guidance Residential LLC. Cal, what is Guidance Residential LLC? What are you guys doing?
11: Um, We offer a faith-based product for home financing.
1: And how large or how small is the company?
11: Um, We're about uh, 230 employees Mm -hmm. and uh, our volume or origination volume is about 700 million a year.
1: Alrighty, and you happen to be, it says here, you're the CEO of this organization. And where are you from
11: originally? Uh, I was uh, born and raised in uh, Cairo, Egypt, and that's where I'm from.
1: Uh Uh-huh. How young were you when you came to the United States?
11: I was 13 years old.
1: And how many brothers and sisters do you have? I have one brother
11: and one sister. And
1: where are you in the pecking order? I'm the oldest. So you're the oldest of three, and you guys came to the United States when you were 13. And I guess it was pretty easy for you to adapt from uh, going from Egypt, and I understand you moved to California. How was that transition?
11: Um, I didn't fit in at all in the beginning. Um, Did you it, feel that you didn't
1: fit in? Do you remember that feeling?
11: Yeah, absolutely. I couldn't speak to anyone because I didn't speak English very well.
1: Give me some other examples of what was going how you felt back then.
11: Well, culturally, just everything was different. Football is soccer, where I came from. Uh, so there's just many, many differences, and uh, it was a crash course in learning a new culture.
1: What, what do you think the upside of not feeling like you fit in is nowadays? In terms of your business, because you built a very successful business here.
11: It's a fresh eyes or a fresh set of eyes on on something that everyone takes for granted. And you'd be amazed at how many things you come to appreciate um, when you're setting a fresh set of eyes on them.
1: Right, give me an example of what you're talking about
11: uh you know i'll i'll start with uh, with f- uh, football I, I you know i like i said i it was called soccer where i came from and and i thought that that's what we were going to play when uh, the kids were playing and it was something completely different and was wow. completely lost
1: mr hill any questions
3: so you started high school right after this a culture shock of coming to the us how did you try to fit in in your
11: high school well, I uh, first, you you have to try and find uh, somebody that you can communicate with because that's the first uh, the first thing. And uh, you know, I was standing in line one time in a cafeteria and a coach football coach came and tapped on my shoulders and said, you're a big guy. Why don't you come out and play football? An American football coach, American right? Football. Not a soccer coach.
3: <laughs> so, uh,
11: so, but because you had had a lot of football
3: experience, and uh, it's a big sport in Cairo, right? I mean, absolutely up. not. Right? You've never <laughs> never played it before. Uh, what was that experience like? Being thrown into a tough, violent, organized game as a new kid in America?
11: Well, you really had to learn to adapt. Like I said, you know. Uh, everybody knew the plays, everybody knew the game, everybody understood the rules, and you were having to learn all of that and learn it fast because when you got it wrong, you got pummeled. And, and what position did you play? Left tackle. And what does a left tackle do in the game? Protects the quarterback.
3: Right, you've seen that movie, The Blind Side, right? Yep. So how does that, learning a new game, having to protect the key player, how does that translate into the way you approach your business and your clients?
11: Well, I... Uh, Like an earlier guest, I feel very much responsible for an entire organization and not just for myself. And so my job is to protect everyone in that organization.
1: Emory.
4: So Cal, what do you get from your mom?
11: So um, she's left me with two wonderful gifts. One is the love of reading and one is the love of chess. And uh, if I'm not doing one, I'm doing the other.
4: Talk to me about chess. How does chess uh, impact the way that you execute your business?
11: Well, the better you are at chess, the farther out your view is, which is very much business-oriented. So some players are 30 moves out, and some players are 15 moves out. And the one that wins is the one who, keeps, um, who can see farther. Mm-hmm. Mr. Schuhart,
2: uh, Cal, are you married? Yes. Children? Yes. How many? I have nine children. Nine children. So what brings you the greatest joy as the father of nine children?
11: Um, I, I always felt like it was my job as the oldest to learn and teach. And so I now have my own experiment at home to teach. <laughs> <laughs> and what do you really love to teach these nine children? Um, because I feel a great passion for what I do for a living, I really talk about the financial structures, the modern financial system, and what I do for a living and why it's good. So how do you teach people at your office? these 230 employees, how do you teach them compared to how you teach your children? So I speak a lot, I have town hall meetings. Um, We operate in 30 states, so I travel quite a bit and visit in person. And today's society wants the story in short snippets, so I've created lots of videos that explain complex matters in, in simple terms. But how do you really connect with these employees? There's nothing like being on the ground with them and spending time with them. You cannot take away uh, from the presence. Presence is everything. So how does a kid who's born in Egypt connect with young millennials in the workforce in the United States? And that's where my kids come in handy. They're all millennials, and I have learned so many different millennial words from them that I can then relate (laughs) to. Wait, 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 wait. you're telling, what, what, what have you learned from
1: your kids that's helped you build the $700 million company?
11: The young generation today has a very different perspective on life. They um, they're less more they're they're less about ownership and more about access to things. And so those are important things to consider when you're talking to
1: them. So you're telling me you've actually learned about business through your kids, through hanging out with your kids every day. Huh? That's fascinating to me. Uh, Kristen, what are you thinking?
5: you're obviously very resilient both mentally and physically in your past Um, how does that um, impact you today and where did you learn that from
11: so when i came to the united states at age 13 that first year is is where i probably learned the greatest amount of resilience because in spite of everything that you experience in of in spite of all the setbacks you really had to get up and start all over again and that really teaches you to i mean you, you learn from your mistakes first of all and then you don't repeat them and you just make new mistakes
1: mm-hmm. henry
6: uh, when you were much younger you said you had um a, your own paper route what do you think you took from that and uh translates into what you do now
11: well i i think there were uh A lot of people, depending on that paper, remember, society back then didn't have, you know, technology. There was no Internet. Uh, The only access to information was that paper route. I mean, uh, I'm sorry, the paper.
1: (laughs) So you you felt a responsibility to make sure that they were delivered on time?
11: Oh, yeah, and I got to hear from them if it wasn't on time or if it was thrown in the bushes or any of those things.
1: So you, you, you knew, you, you know, you were concerned about how the customer felt. Mr. Schuhart. what are you thinking?
2: You said good chess players look far into the future and many moves into the future. What's
11: in the future for your journey of learning and teaching? Well, I, I really believe that uh, technology is changing a lot of things that we take for granted today. I think we're all experiencing it. And so uh, I, th- I think that my main concern right now or my main focus is the workforce. Uh, I, I think that we're going to go to a workforce where there's not necessarily an office where everybody goes to. And so that's my main focus at the moment.
2: And how are you going to keep that connection with that workforce that's just so distributed and not in
11: an office where you can see and, and touch them every day? So it's a trade-off. Uh, the young millennial generation wants the freedom to be able to have uh, freedom to work from home and those type of things. And, and so you're given something of value, but also you're taking on some new risks, as you described. Um, but you can't stop progress, and so you have to adapt.
1: John Hillen.
11: You said your mom gave you the gifts of reading and chess. What gifts did your father give you? Um... He was a serial entrepreneur, and so it, I, I, I suppose a lot of the resilience also comes from his repeated attempts to succeed. And so um, I would say that was the gift he gave me. Well, what, what, what gifts what are you giving your kids? Mm-hmm. Um, just to look at things from a, sh- uh, a, fresh, a fresh set of eyes, a different perspective, uh, not to take things for granted. Just because they read it somewhere doesn't mean that it's true. They have to vet it out themselves.
1: Hmm, uh, wh- if we were doing a good job interviewing you, what else would we be covering? What else would we be asking you? What else should I be asking you in order to really understand
11: who you are? Um, I think it's uh, our, w- our personalities show up in our work, and so it's probably my work that's most uh, curious uh, and, and should be explored uh, at some time.
1: What, what, do you en- what do you enjoy about your work?
11: That I'm trying to change the world. What what are you talking about? Uh, well, what I do is offer an alternative to the current financial system. That's something that's very unique. It's a lot like when Apple was introducing a computer and everybody else had a computer already. Mm-hmm. So you're on a mission. I believe that I have something of value to offer to society. You believe you have something, you have
1: something to offer society of value. So you don't see yourself you know, you sort of see yourself as a salesman and as a CEO, but you're not doing it to take money from people. You're doing it because you think you've got a better alternative.
11: Yes, I, I do. And it's because I've experienced the other side. I, mean, I learned my trade in conventional finance, and now I'm doing something other than that. And so there's you, a reason why.
1: So you like making a difference. You like being different. You're actually, you got comfortable being different when you were a kid and came from Egypt to California. And uh, because you got comfortable being different and learning how to adapt you, in the you've learned, you know you learned how to adapt in the financial system here and now you're doing something different. Am I reading that correctly?
11: I think that's an accurate read. Uh-huh. What's the website address of your organization? Guidanceresidential.com. Let me have that one more time guidanceresidential.com
1: and we've been speaking with Cal Elsayad, CEO of Residential uh, Guidance Residential LLC here on Executive Leaders Radio. It's Guidance Residential LLC here on Executive Leaders Radio. Back in a moment right after this break.
12: I'm Tina Leone. I'm the CEO of the Boston Business Improvement District.
1: And what is the Boston Business Improvement District?
12: We work to attract, support, and connect the most compelling, creative, and ambitious minds in our region. Boston is known as an epicenter for research and discovery. Uh, some of the greatest things that are invented, such as the MRI, the barcode, the internet. The first satellite. All were either conceived, funded, or developed by organizations here in Boston.
1: How, how old is this organization?
12: We're just just shy of six years old.
1: How long have you been there? Been? Uh,
12: almost six years as well.
1: Did you found this organization?
12: Yes, I, I am the founding CEO.
1: Why did you do that?
12: Well, the the organization actually came about uh, by the commercial property owners in why, Boston.
1: Why does it turn you on? Why is your gig turn you
12: on? <laughs> people. I mean, we the 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 ability to connect people, and then who knows the next great idea is going to result from that. We have incredible minds in the Washington, D.C. area, and Boston is, as I said, the epicenter for the smartest people in this area. So
1: your job, you're like the master connector.
12: I feel like the mayor of, of Ballston, the mayor of innovation, because that's uh-huh. what's happening.
1: So your, idea, your, th- your thought is that in order to create more stuff, in order to launch more businesses, in order to cause more good, it's a matter of connecting exactly. the right people.
12: Exactly.
1: And you like being in the middle of all that I, stuff. Oh, we
12: love it. We love it. And simple things, just connecting people through events through art uh, through a happy hour mm-hmm. you don't know what's going to come out of that mm-hmm. that's what's exciting
1: so it's all about the people and you're the uh, you're the founder of this organization is this a nine to five kind of job oh, for hell you? hell
12: no it's a lot longer uh-huh. than that baby so
1: do you have to you have to work the weekends and yeah, stuff like that
12: sure sure
1: let me have the website address of sure, this it's organization
12: bostonbid.com and, and you can download the boston connect mobile app
1: let me have uh, let me have that website address so one more time
12: bostonbid.com
1: it's b-a give me the spelling on
13: that
12: b-a-l-l-s-t-o-n-b-i-d.com
1: excellent your name again is tina leone and the name of the organization is the bolson business improvement district and this has been your business spotlight back in a moment and your name is jeff lawson and jeff what organization are you with
6: i'm with lakota hotels and resorts
1: and wh- what do you guys do what kind of stuff are you doing that's special
6: well we manage uh, conference centers and hotels and we're currently managing the national conference center in leesburg virginia national conference Center. how large or how small is this organization Um, The conference center itself is 900 rooms in size, 350,000 square feet of meeting space, dining facilities for 850, uh, exercise facility all set on 61 acres of land. Wow
1: this is a large organization isn't it? It is very large. Uh And what's your role in the organization?
6: I'm the general manager and I have oversight of the property and all the hospitality services that occur. Well what's the general manager supposed to do with this large facility? Make sure I have a, make sure eight executive community members and a, and a full uh, staff of two hundred and ten do their daily jobs.
1: So, how many folks do you have running through your halls on a weekly basis, or daily basis, or annual basis? What's that look like? Well, on a
6: weekly basis, on a full house, we'll have uh, nine hundred per night, um, seven nights, uh, sixty three hundred, which translates to about twenty thousand meals a week. Wow. And uh, your job, are you working nine to five or do you end up having to work evenings
1: and early mornings and weekends and stuff like that?
6: No, I'd say I'm always on duty. Uh Uh-huh. What do you enjoy about your job? Meeting people, working with some of the finest hospitality people in Virginia, which is my team, and meeting our clients because they're wonderful. So you're helping your clients plan their events? Well, we help plan, uh, they are there for some form of education that goes on at one end of our business and at the other end of our business they're there for social catering events, uh, weddings and such.
1: So you're you're well, you're running a 24/7 by 7 facility, aren't you?
6: We are. Uh-huh.
1: What's the website address of this organization?
6: Conferencecenter.com. Let me have that again. Conferencecenter.com.
1: And your name again is? Jeff Lawson. And the name of the organization? Lakota Hotels and Resorts. And this has been your Business Spotlight. One help building your business with help from the show's CEOs. Grow your sales, connect you, help you raise money, all the big issues, because our CEOs have been there and done that. Succeeding in creating millions of jobs and earning millions of dollars. Some of the CEOs who have appeared on our shows over the last 10 years may be willing to help you grow, assuming you're serious about your success, serious about your own success, because it all starts with the leader. If you're serious about creating your own successful business, are truly committed to putting your nose to the grindstone and doing whatever it takes to make your business successful. We may be able to match you with successful CEOs who have created millions of jobs and earned millions of dollars to help you create your success. We've established unique relationships with a unique universe of over 7,000 CEOs who have created substantial wealth for their companies, their teams, and themselves. These women and men have get the build in their blood, and often continue to start and build businesses even after they've created substantial wealth for themselves because they love the challenge of building a business. Perhaps we can present you and your business to some of these CEOs to gain their interest in helping you. Now email mentors at executiveleadersradio.com. That's mentors at executiveleadersradio.com to hopefully match you with some of the CEOs we've had on the show for the last 10 years. Mentors at executiveleadersradio.com. We're back. You're listening to Executive Leaders Radio. This is your host, Herb Cohn. We'd like to introduce Joseph Zimmerman, COO of an organization known as eGlobal Tech. Joseph, what's eGlobal Tech all about?
13: Uh, Eagle Level Tech's an IT modernization and cybersecurity company that provides services and solutions to the federal government.
1: How large or how small is this organization? Uh,
13: 80 million, about 350 employees. And where are you from originally? Uh, Chicago, Illinois. How many brothers and sisters? Uh, two brothers, two sisters. And where were you in the pecking order? I was the youngest. Uh huh. What was the effect
1: of you growing up the youngest of five
13: in Chicago? You know, I, I got to watch uh, and learn from my brothers and sisters what they did well and what they didn't do so well.
1: So your nature is to look at an organization and figure out what you like and what you don't like about it?
13: Yeah, I think that's been a trait I've had all along. Uh, and I think it comes from that background is I'm, I'm able to see what's going on and put connect the dots of how to bring it to that next level.
1: So you you didn't start this business, you were brought into this business. Was it because the shareholders wanted somebody to take it to the next level and they knew you would be observant and be able to apply best practices?
13: Yeah, I think, uh, you know, the uh, ownership uh, had graduated from being a small business and was looking for someone to help them you know, operate in a new environment, something Uh that they needed someone to help them make Uh it to that next
1: level. Tell me a little bit about um, what was going on with your family, eight to 14 years old, and when were you taking things to the next level, or what, what was going on with the family?
13: Sure, you know, as being the youngest, there was some big age difference there, and so as, you know, my older brother was 18, and I'm, you know, eight years old, and they're moving out of the house, and so I really tried to help be that connector, of keeping the family together, not just with brothers and sisters, but to aunts and uncles and cousins. But I wish and, the public could
1: see your hands, you know, because you keep on doing this thing about moving your hands together. So it's like you know your body language is telling the truth, where you really did try to keep everything together. I'm wondering, is that one of your secrets in terms of taking this organization the next step? And if so, what do you mean?
13: Yeah, I think you know uh, earlier one of the guests said no one could do it alone. You need a team, and I think you you have to bring people together. In particular in our industry because it does take uh, a lot of talent to compete in a mm-hmm. very competitive what, market.
1: What was your uh, what kind of sports did you play? What was your role in the team?
13: Uh, I played baseball mainly growing up, and uh, I was the catcher. What's and the
1: what's the role of the catcher?
13: Well, first of all, you're involved in every pitch, but also you're kind of the coordinator, and and you also are tough because you know you can get bowled over at an any uh, time. At does home that
1: plate. have anything to do with what you're doing nowadays?
13: Yeah, I think. Uh, Anyone in a leadership position has a tough job. Mm-hmm. I mean, you have to make hard decisions I that- I imp-
1: wanted to see if there was a connection between the catcher, John.
13: It just, what did your dad do when you were growing up? Uh, you know, he was a blue collar worker, made it up into you know middle management, uh, uh, worked at International Harvester and then became an over the road truck driver. And what was your relationship like
3: when you were growing up with him and how did that affect the way you handled yourself?
13: You know, I I love my dad, I respect him, but I was afraid of him. Uh, He was a big guy, had a deep voice, and, uh, uh, you know, a little bit of intimidating. And what did you learn about him
3: only later in life when you were an adult that shapes the way you think about him now? Uh,
13: Well, at four years old, he was separated from his family and put into German work camps. And, And what
3: effect did that have on you at the
13: moment you learned that? Well, I think it gave me a lot of respect for... You know, what he did and how he was so able to mm-hmm. not have that change who he was or what he did. Mr.
2: Schuhart, what do you think? Yeah, you mentioned you were a real World War II history buff. What was your favorite book?
13: Uh, the Rommel Papers. I yeah. think it was one of the first, you know, history books I ever read.
2: And what was that about? What, who was Rommel? Uh,
13: Rommel was uh, a general in the German army, uh, kind of started the Panzer Corps and uh, really. Um, you know, Hmm. develop blitzkrieg, per se, for Hmm. the German army. So that
2: aggressive nature of his, how did that translate? Or what do you bring from that to your business?
13: Well, I think it, you know, you always have to be prepared and you always have to act. I think if you allow time to make your decisions, then you're Hmm. not making good decisions. Emory?
4: So Joseph, you're a retired Marine. You had this intimidating dad. But tell me a little bit about the relationship with your mom and how that shows up in your work.
13: Yeah, I hate to admit I was a mama's boy. You know, I used to follow around in the vacuum and go downstairs with her and watch her do laundry and watch her cook. And, you know, because I was a a visual learner, I I now am pretty good at all of those things uh, today.
1: So how's mom affecting your business career today?
13: Um, I think she's uh, the person who brings – the compassion into it that I have, and the. No, no, no. the and cam- I asked you
1: how she's affecting your business. Compared, what's compassion have to do with business?
13: Well, it's all about people, and you have to treat people with respect and with compassion. And
1: wait a minute, co- you're a marine, and you're telling me it's about compassion?
13: Well, you know, there's nothing like the brotherhood that to you that the Marine Corps brings, and you know, you're fighting for the people on your left and right, uh, and there is love and compassion in that.
1: I never realized that. I'm glad. I'm glad you explained that to me, Kristen. What are you thinking?
5: You said that your dad was a tough guy and somewhat unapproachable. What did you learn from that, and how does that make you want to be more approachable now?
13: Well, you know, I, if you looked at me and my dad, where people mistake us for each other now, especially now that since I got out of the Marine Corps, I gained some weight. Uh, but I, I think I, uh, I know I'm an intimidating person, so I'm always trying to be mindful of wanting to make sure I am approachable especially with my daughters I mean I I want to make sure that they don't have that same experience. So
1: on one hand I'm hearing that you know you know what it's like to be tough and focused and brotherhood sisterhood on the other hand what I'm also hearing it's not even on the other hand part of that is really being the empathetic and the compassionate individual. Is that? Am I reading that correctly? It's actually. It's one of the reasons they wanted you to take over this organization is to really build that team. It's like what you did with the family when you were a kid. You know, your older everybody else, all the other kids were out of the house, and you were the one who was like bonding the family together. Am
13: I reading that right? Yeah, I think that that's that's pretty accurate. I think. uh... What's the
1: website address of this organization?
13: Uh, com. Let me have that one more time. That's eGlobalTech with an H at the end.com.
1: We've been speaking with Joseph Zimmerman, COO of E-Global Tech, here on Executive Leaders. I'd like to thank my co-host, Joe Applebaum, Potomac Companies, Kristen Rebeck, Cressa, John Hill, and George Mason University, John Shuhart, Graybeard Coaching, Amory Spadafore, and Henry Fagan for giving me hand-structuring the questions. John, can you give us a rundown on who else we've had the opportunity of speaking with today?
2: Our first guest was David DeLuigi, Regional President of Wilmington Trust. Our second guest was Karen Zuckerman, President and Chief Creative Officer of HZDG. Our third guest was Cal El-Sayed, CEO of Guidance Residential LLC. And we just finished talking to Joseph Zimmerman, COO of eGlobal Tech. Excellent. Again, I'd like to thank my co-host,
1: Joe Applebaum, Companies, Company's Christian Rebeck-Cressa, John Hill and George Manchin University, John shoehark Graybeard Coaching, and Emory Spadaforey, and Henry Fagan for giving me hand structure on the questions, hopefully providing our listening audience an educational and entertaining show. Don't forget to visit our website. It's executiveleadersradio.com to learn more about our executive leaders. It's executiveleadersradio.com to learn more about our executive leaders. We do appreciate you joining us today. Otherwise, we wouldn't have a radio show. And have a nice day. Bye-bye.